Hi, and welcome to MentorCore. If you're new here, we're a community focused on helping people in the security, risk, and compliance fields grow their careers and leadership skills through mentoring. You can find more information about MentorCore at mentorcore.biz. I'm Dan Ayala, along with Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. Now, on to this week's discussion. Welcome to another Mentor Core podcast moment. I am so excited today that we have Mary Shirley in the presence of Mary Shirley. Uh, Mary is a longtime friend of Mentor Core. She was actually one of our first guests. Um, so it's great to have her back. She is well known amongst compliance and ethics circles. She, while well, she works at Fresenia, she does so, so, so much more. She is an author. She is a frequent speaker. She often is judging competitions, um, just all of the things. But I don't want to take away from Mary introducing herself and telling her story of what is happening right now for her. So Mary, tell me a little bit more about you and what you're excited about right now. Hi, thanks so much, Lisa, Beth, and Dan. It's lovely to be here. You can probably tell by my accent that I am not originally a member of Team America if uh, you haven't come across me before. Um, I'm originally from New Zealand and the United States is the fifth country that I've lived in across four regions of the world. Um, I am very fortunate that I get to practice one of the things that I love most in my day job, which is taking uh, various international cultural and business practice considerations and wrapping them around a centralized compliance program and I get to do that as part of my role as head of culture of integrity and compliance education at Fresenius Medical Care and in my spare time I co-host a podcast with Lisa Fine which is called Great Women in Compliance and it's to do with the advancement and empowerment of women in the field we have published a book during the pandemic, which I'm immensely proud of, and it encompasses the stories and advice of many different women in the ethics, compliance, risk, privacy and security fields and brings that together in one compendium. So uh, that's a, a way in which I tried to make productive use out of that really funny limbo period that we were in for, for so long. So I was a little disappointed to not have learned um, a new language or instrument in that time, but publishing a book was pretty darn good and checked off a bucket list item for me. I have many more bucket list items to go, but that one is one that I can now say it's done. And uh, working on a new book at the moment, which is to do with innovative, creative ideas for leveling up compliance programs. Ooh, I love it. Uh, sounds like it'll be a very interesting book. Can't wait to read that one. And your last book was fantastic as well. I know that it brought together a lot of the community and really was supportive of what you're doing with the Great Women in Compliance podcast. So I think those are voices that absolutely need to be heard in the community. So thank you for all that you're doing. Pleasure. We've got links to the book, the podcast in the show notes. So check them out. Absolutely. So one of the things that we wanted to do today is to say, what are you looking forward to or excited about um, in the upcoming months to year? Is there anything special that you can share with us? 
Sure. So at work, one of the things that my team and I have been focusing on in respect of compliance training is leveling up uh, the tone from the top messaging. So traditionally for many years, we have seen the CEO um, who often appears at the beginning of policies as a way to demonstrate tone from the top, as well as at the beginning of compliance training. And what we wanted to do was put a bit of a spin on this, incorporating the tone from the top, but also being really conscious of the fact that when we give compliance training, not only does that cost us money in terms of the compliance department creating that, but the opportunity cost of taking everybody away from their core jobs um, needs to be taken into account in terms of that greater cost. So that time is really precious. And we need to take that seriously in the compliance department. So I think it speaks for itself when we have a leader appearing in the compliance training. You do not need them to explicitly say, I stand behind this training, please do it. If they're appearing in it, that tone from the top is there. So let's make great use of it and uh, instead take some learning objectives from your compliance training that would otherwise have be delivered in a different way and get a leader to talk about them. So a really easy way in which you can do this with the CEO, what we did was have our global CEO talk about the company values and what they mean to him personally. Uh, we also had leaders talk about antitrust. We had another one talk about conflicts of interest and how they crop up in her type of role. Um, and so this year we're taking the same kind of concept, but we've realized that we have a lot of other departments in the company who are also using this executive messaging by way of video. So in, in order to differentiate ourselves and bring a little bit of freshness to it, we are now using uh, animated versions of some of our leaders across the business so that they're appearing in a cartoon format Obviously nothing garish in terms of caricatures, just very nice likeness um, of our leaders and presenting them in that way. So they're almost little video cartoons. Um, you could also do this by using a static cartoon and having a, a speech bubble coming out of them with their quote. Um, so I was inspired to do this from the uh, McDonald's Supply Chain Code of Conduct, which is a really fantastic document. It's aging a little bit now, but I love that particular concept of incorporating tone from the top all throughout the policy document and then taking a spin on that and thinking about how you can use that in another forum, such as the online training. So that's something I'm really looking forward to introducing uh, this year is that continued leveraging off how we can build on different ways of showing tone from the top that really maximizes the learner's time and doesn't waste it. Very cool. Mary, one of the things that you do a lot of is a lot of things. You know, you, you, you're, you're working your, your day job, you mentor your podcast, you write books, you advise, you, know, you do a ton of different things. And, you know, we spend time here in MentorCore talking a lot about wellness. Uh, how do you keep, how do you allow time? How do you ensure you have time for all of these different things? Uh, and how do you, how do you keep yourself from overcommitting? Yeah, that's a really great question. And one of the things that I get asked a lot is, how do you do it all? One of the things that I've really struggled with is that as a proponent of sending the elevator back down, I have felt very nervous about setting boundaries and saying no to things that I can't do because I would hate to ever be accused of being a hypocrite by you know people saying, well, you say that you should always be paying it forward. 
Um, and so I really struggled with anything that's inconsistent with that mantle. And in the end, I think that was really harmful because the idea of sending the elevator back down is really the idea of being able to lift up others when you can, being able to help others when you can. But when you can is the critical part of that sentence. And it is simply not possible for us to help every single person in the world. Um, so one of the things that I've had to come to grips with myself is that if I have to set boundaries, if I have to say no to something or offer an alternative, then that doesn't mean that I'm not living the values of sending the elevator back down. Um, sometimes I get really big requests. Uh, so I'm talking about someone will put a request to me that's essentially asking me to do three to five hours of advisory work, which when I was in consultancy um, would have been part of my day job that I would be charging thousands of dollars for most likely. So when someone has a big ask like that, I feel pretty pretty sad about having to say I'm so sorry I, I, I can't just sort of spend you know an, an evening um, doing this work but ultimately that is what needs to be done if if you're being asked something that is going to take up too much of your time if you've got other commitments that you're currently working on you have to be okay with saying, I would love to be able to help out with this right now. Unfortunately, I'm at capacity for my volunteer work at the moment and think about other ways in which the, the person might be able to be helped. So if it is, for example, a speaking opportunity, um, a way to send the elevator back down is to suggest a colleague that perhaps hasn't had so much time in the limelight and would like to get some more exposure. Um, and if, that you know, you're nervous about referring someone that may not have a track record as a speaker, um, you may be able to offer a little bit of mentoring support to that person to help them get more confident and pre prepare to give that talk. So um, you're right, Dan, uh, sometimes there is a lot to be done and uh, I try to do as much as I can. I um, One of the big things for me about that is um, going with a threshold of good enough as opposed to perfection. Um, I've never been a perfectionist and um, it is something that comes naturally to me to be like, here's what I have to offer. Um, yep, you could shine it up a bit more, but that would mean that something else is, is going to be left and cast to the side. So I strongly believe in doing a good job um, and not sinking too many costs of, of your time into things where it's not going to add too much more value and move on to the next thing. I love that you talk about passing um, opportunities forward um, as a means of paying it forward. And, you know, it, yes, there are often asks to do unpaid work, but I think it's perfectly fine to say, uh, I don't have the time to do this, but here are a number of people who do, and here is where you can go if you want this type of work done, because that is actually another way of paying it forward, is to identify resources um, that could fill that need. Yeah, agreed. So um, I think it's wonderful that, you know, you've, you've been able to um, differentiate between giving that which you can and that which is a, 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 a 
you know, a fence too far or whatever it is, because having those boundaries help to cre- like good fences, make good neighbors, good boundaries, make healthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, I love hearing that about you and I love hearing about the, the, you know, different work that you're doing to try to encourage people to have a tone at the top that incorporates so many different voices so that it's not the voice of the one because we all know that CEOs are a voice but that's not the only voice in the room. I agree and you know studies have shown that people tend to be more influenced by their direct manager than anybody else in the business so when we put you know the absolute ivory tower person up there some people may not have seen them in person, certainly not had a conversation with them. So the more you can cascade throughout the business and use different leaders, and from a diversity standpoint, that allows for more opportunity for people to see leaders that may look like them, may have similarities to them. Um, That's really only increasing things. So I would say um, tone from the top is great, but tone from above and all around is better. that. I love that. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. So let's spend a couple seconds talking about um, what you see in the next six months for you personally, as you continue to write this book. Um, what do the next six months for Mary, six months to a year look like for Mary? Is it just a lot of heads down writing the book or is it we're still going, all cylinders are firing. Um, we've got speaking engagements. We've got, uh, you know, all of these things. I know you're judging different things because I've seen your name on the list, but tell us more. Thank you, Lisa Beth. Um, I think for now, a lot of, um, in New Zealand, we use a phrase fingers in, in different pies. Got a, I've got a lot of fingers in, in, in a lot of pies, um, which is a metaphor, but often is also literal because I love pie. Um, I think uh, at some point I'm going to have to try and prioritize really getting to the finish line on the book. Um, There is a lot of work that goes into writing a book, as you know more than than anyone else. Um, It takes an awful lot of effort and, you know, you really want it to be something that you're proud of that adds value come the end of it. So uh, I'll certainly be prioritizing that. I'm really excited to share that I'll be starting a new column soon with a compliance media company. So I'll be a regular columnist um, talking about all sorts of different aspects of substantive compliance, but also as a practitioner. And I know that you're um, a columnist in the wellness space. um, So I would hope to not have uh, too much overlap with you. I imagine every now and again, there'll be a little bit of a dip into your type of area, but I'm super excited about that. It was really nice to be invited um, and continuing on with some miscellaneous activities and volunteering to send the elevator back down. Of course, Great Woman in Compliance continues as a podcast. We have hit 150 episodes recently, so we're still going strong, um, Lisa Fine and myself, and really grateful for the the following. Um, If you're not aware of it, we have a little LinkedIn group of a community that really supports each other in there, and there's just so much to look forward to. Um, You know, I referred earlier to the limbo period that we were in before, and I feel like we're starting to come out of that. And Lisa Beth, you and I have talked recently about how 
a coronavirus is something that's going to stick around. Um, we're not really going to get rid of it. But to the extent that we can start moving away from that limbo phase, I think we're going to see more of a future there. So more in-person gatherings. Matt Kelly and I have been running uh, networking meetups in Boston. So if you're in the Boston area and would like to join those, please don't hesitate to reach out. We have a really lovely group of people that meet uh, sporadically throughout the year and it's informal we just chat about things um, as they come up it's kind of like this but a little bit bigger and uh, and there are drinks so um, many many things and I'm sure that there is something that's not even in my mind right now that'll crop up in the next couple of weeks that we'll end up working on so very excited for what's to come and the rest of 2022. So the networking is a huge piece of what you do. Uh, I, you know, I, I've been a recipient of, of you know, of, of much networking time with you through some of the work we've done together. Um, but one of the questions that comes up regularly is, as people are looking to enter the field or change in the field, what's the most important thing for people to keep in mind as they're looking to either enter the field or change careers within the, the compliance field uh, today? I think having patience and understanding that it is not an immediate process is the critical thing. I've spoken to a lot of people who feel frustrated that they can't break into the compliance space and they're really upset because they have such a passion for it. What they may not be realizing is that what we're also seeing in, in this type of time is that there are people who have been practicing in compliance for some time who are also struggling to get jobs. So um, if there are people with experience who are finding it difficult, then naturally, if you've not got a track record in the space, it's also not going to be something that you can just bust into. And I know it may feel incredibly unfair because you're raring to go and you've, you've read up on so many things and you're ready to start. Um, but unfortunately, you know, one thing I think is not often spoken about in public is that job hunts can take an awfully long period of time, especially the more senior you get, the more executive level of role you're looking for. And all we ever seem to see is the new announcement on LinkedIn, that feels almost immediate for us. So I think people go in with fairly unreasonable expectations that I'll send a few applications out, maybe not everyone will shortlist me, but, you know, and then in, in three months time, they're feeling really disenfranchised and disappointed but um there are many other people going through the same thing it's nothing personal it it certainly happens in compliance that you can break into the field and be be new to it and and i i hope that i'm not discouraging anyone from that what i'm saying is it's super important to have realistic expectations and because it's not something that we tend to talk about kind of like salaries it's we're not very transparent about how in fact the the process at um the executive level can very easily be six to 12 months if not more mm -hmm. so it, it can be very easy to feel like oh I'm, I'm just not gaining any traction i'm not moving on this and i'm feeling so frustrated about it but that's normal um, and, and that may not be terribly reassuring, except I, I usually feel reassured if I'm, if I'm kind of normal about something. So I think that would be my advice is that um, it can stink going through that process. Um, you can 
doubt your decision maybe to to move into a new field but if it's something that you're truly interested in and you are doing your best to make connections with people in the field and do that networking figuring out what transferable skills you have getting some certifications that are relevant to the area in your spare time all those little things are going to accumulate and build to put mm -hmm. you in the best position possible to achieve what you want yeah that's I, wonderful advice i think that one of the things that always sticks out to me is that success looks like it was instantaneous but no one sees all the effort that went into getting there yeah. whether it was you know countless sleepless nights you know, the thousands of resumes that were sent out with either no response or whatever. I wish there was kind of like a counter that would be like, hey, yeah. you know, this person went through 50 interviews yeah. over 18 months to get to this like announcement on, on LinkedIn that it's going to be right. like viewed for a day. Right. Right. Well, we can always be more transparent in what we do as we go through those things too. You know, what's good in job search is also good for Instagram and other things that, you know, that paint only the surface, only the superficial picture. Um, that's great advice. I think, I think it actually is more reassuring than you may, um, you know, than you may realize uh, to know that you are not the only one going through this, or it's not just you that's, you know, that's experiencing the delays. So I know that we are coming to the end of our time. It goes by so fast in these sessions. Um, one of the things that we always try to ask, and I know we've asked you before, so we're going to ask you slightly differently, um, is what's the best advice you've received recently from a mentor? Yeah, so actually this one came specifically from you, Lisa Beth. Um, I was having a crisis of confidence moment and I got a really lovely message from you and I thanked you for um, having more faith in me than, than I did about this particular issue. And you simply responded with, I believe in you, you should too. And it, it really just hit me um, that, gosh, you know, someone who's not me is making the effort to lift me up, raise my spirits. The least I can do is rally for myself. So... <laughs> Thank you, Lisa Beth, um, for the advice that was timely and much appreciated. And do know that I, I listened to that. Well, and I will have to say that that was um, something that we talked about with Samantha Kellen, and it resonated with me. And honestly, it's seven words. Mm. And you can say it to somebody, they might need to hear it today. Yeah, Absolutely. And I'm thrilled to hear that because I'm friends with Samantha as well. So I like to think that maybe that was her saying that to me as well through you. <laughs> Very likely. <laughs> and if you'd like, if listener, if you'd like to hear that episode, check the show notes uh, from February <laughs> of uh, 2021. There's a link to that episode as well. Apparently that's my whole job on this is to say, see the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mary, thank you so much for your uh, for being here uh, again and for sharing new and updated information about you and your background and the work you do uh, and the and the way that you approach mentoring and the way you approach just finding finding time for it all. I think it's really helpful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really such a big fan of each of you individually um, and then combined for what you're doing, collaborating on MentorCore. I'm so proud and pleased to know you. Likewise.
And thanks to you, the listener, we're proud to know you too. Uh, and we'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach us at info at mentorcore.biz. You can find all of our past episodes on our website, mentorcore.biz. Uh, and if you like, if you're more of the audio persuasion, uh, you can find all of them in podcast format, podcast.mentorcore.biz. Do you see a theme here? Go to mentorcore.biz and you can find absolutely everything you need to know about MentorCore, including a link to our Slack community, uh, in which we're bringing people together uh, from the security, privacy, risk, ethics, governance, uh, and compliance fields to grow their networks, to grow their careers, uh, and find ways to find ways to grow. Thanks again for being here, and we'll see you again on the next MentorCore.